wonderful friends, welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. Uh, this is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary. I'm minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also presenter of Drive Time every Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, now, folks, this week we're following the theme, uh, the church and money in a very human world. Now, look, if ever there's a subject that uh, uh, certainly the contemporary-minded uh, person uh, loves to get into, it's the subject of money uh, and the church. Uh, on Monday, uh, we looked at the subject of what does the Bible teach about money and the love of money. Yesterday, uh, we moved into the subject of could ancient financial principles help us today? And today, we're going to be considering, does the Bible have anything to say about the wealth of churches? Now, this is a really big one. Now, look, if you'd like to make a comment, if you'd like to ask a question, if you'd like to give some feedback, why don't you do that uh, Do that today? Um, maybe uh, you can do that by, by texting us uh, at our studio text number. That number is 04888. 80811 0488880811 if you'd like to make a comment or give some feedback or ask a question uh to uh, uh to to one of us uh, here uh sitting in the studio we 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 won't identify you uh but uh we'd love to be able to respond to your uh, your question uh now to guide us through our discussion today we're joined with our regular Wednesday co-host and that's Pastor David Butcher and David's the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Oz and welcome to you David. Hello Gary and uh, good afternoon listeners. It's wonderful to have you back in the studio again. It's been a few weeks uh, since I've been able to sit opposite you here uh, in the studio because you've been running all around the country and doing uh, taking hold. What ha- what have you been up to? Where have you been? Yeah, look, uh, it would be good if it was all holidays, wouldn't it? But uh, no, I certainly have had some holidays in the southeast corner of Queensland. Yeah. And uh, while we were cold in Adelaide, it was warmer up there by about four or five degrees. And, um, yeah, some beautiful things in the Springbrook National Park right near the New South Wales-Queensland border. Beautiful falls and everything. And uh, one of the other things that, uh, as part of my work, I got together with church leaders right across Australia, New Zealand, the whole of the South Pacific in in Brisbane. And uh, we're at a convention centre, and it was amazing to hear what God is doing um, not only in our own country but for me particularly to hear how the Holy Spirit is working in Papua New Guinea and Vanuatu in Fiji and and places like Kiribati and uh, the Solomon Islands just amazing yeah, yeah, and to yeah. to meet with um, fellow colleagues and ministers of the gospel who are sold out on sharing Jesus Christ. It was just amazing, a real blessing. Yeah, yeah. I, I know some of the real blessings in my life has actually been to sit and actually talk to some of these, uh, some of these leaders, because the stories which they can tell. You know, here within Australia, we're living in an incredibly secular, secular world uh, where you know, I mean, church is something that we it's fairly predictable. But uh, certainly in some of these countries, it's certainly not predictable. It's not. And Gary, just a, a little insight, I guess. Um, uh, in Papua New Guinea, um, 
uh, God is doing amazing things there. And yeah, yeah the, the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Papua New Guinea has planted thousands of churches, and we're talking yeah. Yeah. thousands of churches um, in um, in under five years. And uh, it all came through with COVID. They, mm. um, they were able to meet in groups no larger than I might have been 15 or something or 20. Uh, and those groups have, have really burgeoned out beyond that, and they've just gone and planted churches. And it, it's just phenomenal to see. And their needs over there, they say, look, we need roofing iron. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. what we need here is we need um, <laughs> more committed members and the Holy Spirit to really fall and yeah. for people to be sacrificial yeah. here yeah. to share spiritually. Over there, they're sharing spiritually. Yeah. They need some monetary assistance. And, yeah, as as we left that um Event. Um, the Papua New Guinean leaders went back to PNG and they mm-hmm. were having uh, meetings for a week for 2,000 ministers uh, wow. coming together. And I saw some photos of some that were already there at this place. And um, well, they were at a halfway point. Many of them had walked for two or three days because there was no roads from the, the, the mountains from where they came. And yeah. um, they were camping out in um, one-man tents, all colourful little tents on a concrete, uh, big concrete slab. Wow. And um anyway that was that was just the halfway point. Others were bussed down and um yeah 2000 ministers um being encouraged being challenged to um share the gospel message in even bigger yeah, ways. Yeah. One of the things I really love about, and I'm, I'm really pleased you brought this one up actually because I know one of the things that I've really appreciated, I, I remember actually touring through the uh, Middle East and the half-hour tour group actually came from Papua New Guinea and through the uh, the Solomons and out into the Pacific, Fiji and uh, one of the, the things that I really appreciated was the uh, their, their musical ability and uh, we would actually go into uh, uh, some of these great, uh, great big cathedrals, and they couldn't help themselves. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, they would just burst into song, and the people would sit, and it would resonate around the uh, around the cathedral. And uh, you know, the locals would come and say, "Is this a choir? Is this a choir?" And uh, uh, no, to me, I, I really appreciated being able to travel uh, with uh, uh, with this group of uh, individuals, certainly from the from the Pacific. So, so yeah, I do. Just in finishing this little element, it's just such a blessing to meet with brothers and sisters of Christ from multiple cultures and to see what God is doing. Yeah, it's just absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thank you, David. Look, let's come to some uh, to our world watch. This is a segment that I love uh, every day because it uh, sort of keeps us in touch with what's happening in the big wide world that uh, is is out there uh, today, and particularly the whole religious world. About two days ago, I actually picked up uh, an article from uh, uh, from the Australian, and uh, it was an article that was uh, well, it was actually entitled "We're Fiddling with Trivia." As the world burns. Now, when I read that title, I sort of thought, goodness me, I've got to, and I, I had to dig into and read this. And I just want to read just a couple of paragraphs uh, from it uh, today. Um, but, you know, David, this used to be the sort of material that was uh, presented by old time apocalyptic preachers. And yet, uh, here it is in our newspaper. I'd love to get your feedback on it. And this is, um, this is what, uh, what the article said. Uh, in the melancholy years of her decline, the Republic of Venice became famous for her entertainments and trivial pleasures. Tourists uh, adored her as a city of operas, carnivals and glittering rituals. 
In the Middle Ages, Venice had been an important European power, but by the end of the 17th century, she was on the skids, overtaken by larger and more dynamic rivals, sidelined by a revolution in global trade and was crippled by the mismanagement of her inept, hereditary elite. Faced with geopolitical irrelevance and economic stagnation, Venetians sought the consolations of frivolity. And I, when I read that, I sort of thought, wow, I mean, they, how similar is this to today? Uh, in uh, his masterly recent history of Venice, Jonathan Keats describes the fading republic's air of calculated triviality, the ubiquitous sense that serious initiatives and major political concerns had to all intents and purposes evaporated. Sound familiar? I said the article. When I reviewed the book last year, I noted the historical resonance. Since then, Keats's account of a declining maritime empire in love with superficial distractions has returned to haunt me. Downwardly mobile nations tend to obsess over trifles and distractions because serious issues become too frightening to contemplate, the article says. Uh, Witness the cabaret of Berlin or the uneasy, teetering, magnificent Viennese culture in the decades before the Great Wall. I think... As something similar explains the strange, almost hysterical unseriousness abroad in British culture at the present time. And of course, this is an article that was originally written in Britain. A bleak new essay by economist Sam Bowman warns that Britain should get used, should get used to thinking of itself as a developing country. We are mistaken, Bowman soberly counsels, to imagine that we belong with America in the front rank of nations. He presents a series of depressing statistics. The US is 39% richer than the UK. Its productivity is 38% higher than ours. In America, a newly qualified nurse earns approximately £42,000 compared with £27,000 in the UK. In Alabama, uh, apparently you can earn $125,000 managing a car wash. At this point... I put Bowman's essay aside to stare blankly at my bedroom wall for a bit. In such circumstances, is it any wonder that Love Island is the cultural event of the summer or that someone's private life seems madly diverting? And I haven't yet got into the really morbidly existential stuff. The fact that Europe is burning or that the World Economic Forum predicts artificial intelligence will destroy 83 million jobs globally in the next five years, or that the American democracy looks at in, looks in increasingly shaky proposition. It doesn't bear thinking about. And so, uh, the most talked about film of the week is about a plastic doll designed for six-year-olds. It's not that I object to Barbie or to Love Island or to the scrutiny of powerful men on TV. The problem is uh, to do 
uh, is to do with priorities. Trivia has become the main event. Now, David, when I read this article, and, and there was a lot more uh, to it than uh, just what I, I read there, but I, the way that this article concluded, I thought was very powerful. Trivia has become the main event. Uh, you know, are we fiddling with trivia as the world burns? I, I mean, this is something, I mean, this type of article is the sort of article that uh, in from time immemorial, you know, apocalyptic preachers would, would certainly uh, preach on about in, the, in a church sermon. Mm. But now we find it in a secular newspaper here in the middle, middle of Australia and uh, we've st- got to start saying, hey, you know, are the churches missing something? Yeah, it's almost like, Gary, um, you know, you go down a mall or somewhere like that and you've got someone on a soapbox uh, preaching doom and the end of the world and most people ridiculing them, laughing at them and not paying any interest. Um, and uh, this has been something that churches have done. And, and I think I think we are called to call people to a readiness for Jesus Christ. Uh, that, that's our commission, to be ready. And so any other focus is merely tinkering around the edges with something that's broke and can't be fixed. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that this whole thing of uh, where basically um, uh, trivia has become the main event while the ship's sinking, if you like, yeah. I would agree with that. Now, I haven't, um, you know, there is this uh, quote that is often said about Rome that, um, not that Nero fiddled while Rome burned, but uh, when the Roman Empire was beginning to crumble, at least from what I've heard. I haven't researched it myself. It was said that what they did was they f- they fed the people corn and they put on the, the games, yeah. the Colosseum, yeah. uh, while the empire was crumbling around them. And um, you sort of distract people. You give them a, a, um, things to take their mind or distract them. Yeah. Uh, and they fail to see the bigger picture. Mm, mm, yeah, no, I appreciate what you're saying there. Uh, you know, to, to me, you know, I mean, I know that, uh, you know, Second Second Timothy chapter 3 to me is a passage that I believe is becoming more and more relevant to the world in which we're living today. You know, Second Timothy chapter 3, know this that in the last days perilous times will come. Uh, you know, when Paul starts to write this, the thing that blows me away is that the Apostle Paul is locked up in prison. You know, he's been flogged and he's about to be executed for his faith. He doesn't say that his own times are perilous, but he says that in the last days, perilous times will come. And to me, if I'd been Paul, I would have said, hey, you know, perilous times are here. But he doesn't say that. No. And uh, uh, that, that passage, though, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come for men are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, uh, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haunty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. You know, David, to me, one of the things I'm really conscious of is I think that we very quickly skip over that last phrase, having a form of godliness but denying its power. You know, it, it, it's almost as though, you know, we can actually go through the, uh, go through the, uh, the, the, 
uh, the symbols of uh, of religion, the, ritual. the, the rituals that uh, of religion, but we miss out the, the the depth of religion. You know, to me, one of the things I really appreciate, and we're just talking about uh, certainly some of those uh, uh, some of those pastors that come from uh, certainly third world countries, and uh, the type of um, the depth of experience that they've actually got. And you know, to me, when I actually uh, compare uh, certainly the experience that of religion here in a country like secular Australia to those that I've certainly met and talked to in uh, uh, from that type of an environment, I just look at it and I just stand in awe and I say, hey, you know, we have yet a great deal to learn from these individuals. We, we do. And, and when you see Christians that are under duress in various countries and territories where they are persecuted or maligned for their faith, which yeah. we really aren't to yes, a great degree, yes. um, you see the commitment that they do, and and I guess the question that comes to my mind: Are we dealing with trivia, yeah. or are we are we there as as watchmen and watchwomen, um, letting people know, blowing a trumpet, letting people know that Jesus is coming? Get your life in order. Yeah, and yeah. and Gary, just on this uh, Matthew twenty four. Jesus um, talks about in verse 38, he says, For as in the days before the flood they were eating, drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Mm. So you've had this ark that was being built, you know, for we believe 120 years. Uh, Noah preached for the duration of that that there was a flood coming. Indeed. And what were people doing? They were focusing on, well, being getting married and giving in marriage and that sort of thing. That's the not trivia. The common things of life. The common things of life. Now, that's not trivia. Yeah. But it is trivia when you've, you're preaching the end of the world and there yeah. is a ship that has finished being built. Yeah. The first one that ever seen, mind you. But you've had someone preaching for 120 years and people aren't taking any notice. Yeah. And if you like, I believe that's what uh, this author is suggesting. Yeah. Um, you know, we're focusing on minutia and trivia while the ship is going under. Yeah, and the thing that I appreciate, uh, David, is that, uh, you know, this uh, this article comes from the Australian. It's a secular uh, Australian newspaper. It's got nothing to do with religion. But even the author here is being forced to ask, are we fiddling with trivia while the world, you know, this is this is far more than the old-time apocalyptic preacher uh, in uh, uh, in the church type uh, type environment. Uh, David, uh, I'm staggered that even secular people are starting to recognise issues like this in the world right now. And so I guess the question for for believers then is if people in society are waking up, are we asleep? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, no. the story of the ten virgins is a story of ten people that were longing for the bridegroom to come. They yeah. believed in it. Yeah. They all fell asleep, but five of them were found to be foolish. Indeed, indeed. Look, David, let's come to some music. Uh, I, I thought today we'd go to one of the one of the foundation, uh, one of the great uh, great hymns of the church, uh, The Holy City. Please enjoy Jason Cork uh, as he sings The Holy City. Last night I lay sleeping There came a dream so fair I stood in old Jerusalem Beside the temple there I heard the children singing And ever as they sang Methought 
the voice of angels from heaven and answering. Methought the voice of angels from heaven answering. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, lift up your gates and sing, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to
course, is uh, Jason uh, Cork, and Jason Cork was singing uh, that uh, immortal song, uh, "The Holy City Love." That uh, that ren- that particular rendition. Uh, now, folks, we do have a giveaway book uh, for you today. This is a real, a real beauty. Now, we've had a number of people request it uh, this uh, this week. If you'd like it, please uh, get, grab your phone now and hop online and uh, text us. Now, the book that we're giving away today is the Giving Equation, and it's done by Ken Long. Now, uh, Ken is a uh, is a um, a business consultant, uh, and he's written this book because what he's wanting to do is to present the giving economy as opposed uh, to the uh, conventional economy that uh, most of us have grown up in. He wants to present a different way of thinking about money and wealth. Uh, this is the sort of thing that you might want to talk to your children about. Uh, you know, Is there a better way of thinking about wealth than just the a crass accumulation of wealth? Now, uh, Ken's book is entitled The Giving Equality. Now, look, if you'd like your own copy, this is totally free. We're not asking for donations or anything like that. All you need to do is to come to uh, to us, text us at our drive time text number, and that number is 04888-80811. That number is 04888-80811. And all you need to do is to put in your text the code for today. Now, the code is SA129. Now, that's uh, that's just five digits in a row. Uh, don't put a gap between the SA and the 129 because our robot can't seem to understand that. So just five digits in a row, SA129, and our robot will come back to you. He'll ask you just a few, uh, a few questions so that we can get this book to you in the fastest way possible. Now, look, also, if you've got something you'd like to say about our subject, today please feel free to do that you can also use that same text number uh, those uh, those texts come straight through to our desk here at our drive time text studio in uh, our drive time studio here in Adelaide so that uh, text number again is 04 triple eight eight oh eight eleven oh four triple eight eight oh eight eleven and if you want that book uh it's SA one two nine just five digits uh, in a uh in a row I believe you'll love uh this uh this particular book. And and Gary that book is a great little book. It it it's it, the way it puts it together is very simple but profound and in the back of that book there are some brilliant little uh, small group exercises. So you can actually use the book and parts of it as a small group. Ah, wonderful. You don't have to. You can use it for yourself, but it can be used as a small group. So if you're part of a, a church, a small group, you can actually pick this book up and uh, and talk about money. And let's face it, you know, I mean, that's something that seems to attract the attention of almost uh, almost anybody. Or do it within your family, yes. So, look, brilliant little book. And that number again was? Um, uh, that number again is 488 Eight oh eight eleven oh four triple eight eight oh eight eleven and the code is SA one two nine. Now you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q and A with uh, Pastor Gary, and uh, uh, today. Um, guiding us through our discussion is going to be uh, Pastor David Butcher and David's the uh, lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz and this week we're following this theme the church and money in a very human world now this is a subject that almost uh, 
everybody has got an opinion on. And you see it in the media. It cops up, it crops up with monotonous regularity. And today we're considering the question, does the Bible have anything to say about the wealth of churches? Now, this is a really, a really big one. Uh, you know, it, it, this, this issue actually goes back a very, very long way. Uh, you know, David, way back, uh, when, uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, was around, that, that's, uh, that's before the, the turn of the first century. Uh, the story is told of Thomas Aquinas, uh, one of the greatest Roman Catholic scholastic theologians of the Middle Ages. He was, he was visiting Rome. Uh, the Pope uh, showed him the treasures of Rome. He showed him the artwork, the expensive ornaments of gold and silver, the furniture, the buildings, and Pope Innocent the, the Fourth is uh, supposed to have said, the time has gone when the church could say, silver and gold have I none. Thomas Aquinas uh, supposedly wryly remarked, yes, and the time has also gone when the church could say to the lame man at the temple gate, rise up and walk. Uh, do you know, when I, I read that uh, story originally, it really said something uh, to me because if you look at uh, churches today, almost every church uh, is certainly in the Western world is incredibly wealthy. Now, David, help us out on this. I mean, uh, I mean, should, as some people have suggested to me, uh, should churches just sell up uh, all their all their assets and give their assets to the poor and be a blessing to society in that way. Would that be a better way of going? Yeah, look, really good question. And, and I think we need to look at this um, from all angles, don't we? And, and and maybe just to begin, Gary, you know, there is an article that um, I'm looking at called The Top 10 Richest Churches in the World and Their Net Worth in 2023. And um, this was um, th- this highlights uh, just a few things and the ten richest churches in, ter- in the world. <laughs> and uh, number one is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints um, in this article, and um, it is suggesting their worth is a hundred billion dollars. Uh, number two is the Catholic Church at the Vatican, um, thirty three billion, um, and then number three is the Catholic Church in Germany at 26 billion. And it goes on and on. Um, uh, in Australia, the Catholic Church in Australia, um, its net worth or estimated worth is 22.3 billion. Mm. Church of England, um, is, um, Nine billion, and it goes on. So uh, lists various uh, different um, religious groups. I know one list that I actually read, uh, actually included certainly in in that top ten was our own church, uh, the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Yeah, that's not in this article I have, but 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 it does highlight though what you were saying: should churches sell up everything they have? And so one of the, I guess. Um, uh, the arguments that could be put is, well, if churches have, uh, if, if religious faiths, churches, denominations have physical buildings, well, then there's property involved. Yeah. And the more of those you have around, I guess, how rich is McDonald's uh, as far as their property yeah. goes? Well, yeah. I guess a church, Seventh-day Adventist church, the Catholic church, the Mormon church, 
etc. Wherever you have physical locations, if you own the land, there is going to be value attached to that. And let's face it, the churches have often bought that uh, those properties, you know, maybe three, four, five generations ago when it was uh, uh, maybe even given to them by uh, by government uh, organisations. Uh, and of course, over time, it's increased in value. But uh, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I. We understand why people might make this argument. That, that's true. And so I guess if you want a church to have a physical location that, that is not a home church, then, of course, there will be a, a value. If it's owned by a, a religious entity, there will be a, a dollar value attached to that. And if you have 100 churches in a country or 300 churches or 400 or 1,000 churches, it is certainly going to uh, the value would add up as some of those figures that I gave you. Okay, David, look, tell us, how essential is it that churches actually own the properties that they do actually own? I mean, is that really essential? That is a really good question, and sometimes churches go into whole fundraising projects for decades mm. uh, and saving, and then they they finally cross that line and they build, and then they take a big, deep breath. This is not always the way. Yeah, then they yeah, take yeah, a yeah. big, deep breath, and, oh, we've made it. Yeah, And sometimes what happens is they've got a brand-new facility, mm. uh, but evangelism and mission focus declines. They're just exhausted. Yeah. The, yeah. the other thing, too, is, is that physical building is not the church. The church are the people. Okay. A- and so a, a group of people don't have to worship in a physical structure that is owned by a denomination. They can worship in a house. So why have all these all these structures? I mean, I mean, the more you sort of look at at, at churches of whatever denomination, there are, are big and and glorious uh, uh, temples. There's you know, I mean, uh, schools. You got you know, you got all these different uh, uh, different uh, reason. You know, is is there something there that we we're missing? I think society is changing and, um, you know, many denominations, uh, perhaps going back a number of decades, the focus was on having a physical location. Yeah. Uh, we're now talking before the internet. Now that is, and even COVID has opened up a whole new form of church, if you like, church yeah. online. Yeah. I still want to suggest that face to face is always going to be more beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but you go back a number of decades, you know, the church was the, often was the highest pl- point in the town. Um, uh, you know, and, uh, it was a physical location where people came to. I think there is still relevancy in, in having physical church locations. Where I think we run into perhaps the question of stewardship and is this good stewardship? Is, is the facility, the, the church, if you like, not the people, but is the facility being used to its maximum benefit to move forward the mission of God? In other words, many denominations may use their church for three to four hours a week, you know, mm-hmm, whether mm-hmm, in the case mm-hmm. of Seventh-day Adventist Church, Saturday, case of many other uh, denominations on a Sunday. They may have a, a small group or a prayer meeting there once a week. So if that is the case, you might only be using a church, if you're lucky, for maybe 12 hours a week, and it's just sitting there. Yeah, yeah. So we've got to realize that the role of of uh, Christian denominations is to share the love of Jesus, 
to grow the kingdom of God, not on earth, but for heaven. And therefore, um, you know, Jesus talks about a, a harvest cycle. He talks about connecting with people, planting a seed in their mind or in their heart. Very rarely these days, uh, or it's diminishing, do you have people that walk in off the street. Mm. Now, we are blessed to have people walk in off the street reasonably regularly. Except in my church. Oh, Gary, we know it happens in your church. God is really blessed. But 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 if we were to go back three or four decades, yeah, 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 exactly. it, it was yeah. not uncommon. Yeah. Um, and so Christians need to look at, I guess, not just relying on people to come to them, yeah. but the New Testament church model was the church going out into the community. Yeah, yeah. And also in the New Testament, where did they worship? They couldn't worship. In, well, they did worship in the temple, so to speak, but after they weren't allowed to, they worshipped in people's homes. Well, one of the responses that I've certainly had from, uh, I know, some church leaders is that, uh, look, you know, I mean, we actually need all of this this property because uh, because the church is involved in a lot more than just uh, once a week uh, worship uh, worship activities. Now, how would you actually respond to that? I think that's valid. Um, in other words, there are churches that I've been engaged with that are, are running soup kitchens, that are running training programs, health training programs throughout the week. Um, they might open up um, some of their facilities, their church hall for exercise classes. They have groups come in, um, like uh, in our denomination we would call it Pathfinders, which is equivalent to Girl Guides or Scouts. Yep. Um, and and um, using the church for all sorts of small groups for training programs. Some churches use their facilities for for teaching English or for teaching other, you know, mathematics, tutoring, those sorts of things. So the church should be opening it up. There is even a church that has a, you know, one of the ones I'm thinking of in my mind that has a cafe during the week Mm -hmm. um, all the way around it and uh, their worship centre, if you like, the sanctuary, if you like, where they worship on Saturday, that's at the centre, but around it is this, this incredible vegan cafe. How do you feel then about uh, churches that maybe run, you know, parachurch ministries, you know, like, for example, you know, education, hospitals? You know, is that a legitimate uh, part of the church's work? Because that actually consumes a lot of the, the assets that churches hold. And, and exactly, which then, you know, this, this church is worth a hundred billion or whatever it may be that someone might say, you know, the Mormon church or whichever church. It is because you think about what Jesus did. A lot of his ministry, was healing and a lot of his ministry was teaching mm. and so whether it's the catholic church or the adventist church or whatever you know we we own education institutions we own medical institutions you mm-hmm. you add the value of those things up and, and it, it is quite extensive um what's the aim the aim is for people to be holistically well yeah uh physically spiritually and mentally yeah. And and with our schools, it's the same purpose. We don't want to educate people to um, not have a relationship with Jesus. We want to give them the best education we can, but the aim is to also lead them to Jesus Christ. So there, it is relevant to have these other ministries. Uh, our, our facilities should be used as much as possible on uh, to, to be maximised. Otherwise, I guess the question is, is this good stewardship? And we also need to be looking, and I think we're moving in this direction, and a number of denominations are, is the home churches. Mm, mm. 
Mm. And, and certainly with the um, with the era in which we're living now, I think more and more we're going to be moving into uh, a different model of church to what we've actually traditionally uh, traditionally had. But the thing that I appreciate, and, and I do believe there's probably some, well, I believe there's some real validity to this, that, uh, you know, Christ certainly challenged his disciples to uh, be healers, to be teachers. You know, he's the Great Commission, go and teach, preach and baptise, you know, teach education holistically. I mean, this is all part of the church's work. And, of course, what tends to happen is that as you start to develop uh, uh, um, education, you start to develop things like schools, you start to develop the the support structure around schools, and then once you've got the support structure, you then start to employ people, and start once you start employing people, you've got to pay wages to people. You know, and you sort of look at this, and suddenly things start to uh, start to grow uh, far beyond the model uh, that was originally established in the Book of Acts. That's true, and I mean, you go into some of the, some of the countries of the world, and churches have orphanages. Yeah, you know, so so we are we're to meet people's needs. Uh, now, this is balanced by. Um, you know, I'm looking at an article in front of me, the 15 richest pastors in the world and their net worth in 2021. Um, now, this is interesting. Yeah, just share this. Kenneth Copeland in this article, uh, $300 million. Uh, David Oyedepo, $150 million. Now, uh, he, is, um, he is based uh, in Nigeria, and uh, he's Nigeria's wealthiest pastor, uh, worth $150 million, and he is the founder of uh, of a particular ministry and um somewhere i read that he has about 3 planes wow now so i think there is a difference in churches or denominations being asset rich if those assets are being used for the benefit of the community and for the benefit of uh, people's well-being spiritual physical mental yeah yeah, yeah. but god never designed the church or those that work in it mhm to become um, uh, multi-millionaires uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or for the churches to become, if you like, a, uh, uh, what would you call it, for the, for the church entity itself. To, to become to, a huge monument to its own success. To its own, and to its own self and its own cause. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, so just on these ministers that, that we're talking about, you know, I'm reminded of, um, of Jesus uh, in Matthew yeah. Um, where he said, um, what did he say? Foxes have uh, have holes, birds have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. Yeah. And yeah. then you go to the book of Philippians, and it said that though he was equal with God, uh, he was willing to come and and humble himself. Yes. So he came with nothing. Yeah. He yeah. he came from Nazareth. Now that doesn't mean to say we all have to be monastic and 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 and. Uh, live with nothing. Yeah, yeah. But if if I'm earning 150 million as a minister of the gospel, where is my focus? I yeah. Okay. I, I think you're asking some really good questions here, David. This is there's almost a balance here because obviously, if you give away uh, all the wealth that you have accumulated, uh, you're unable to support uh, those that you've been called to support. Uh, but then, if in fact you accumulate assets, it's very easy uh, to actually adopt the wrong priorities. Uh, 
in the in ministry itself. David, I want to bring this together if we can at the end of the program. But look, let's come to some some music right uh, right now. Uh, this is City of Light, uh, uh, not I, uh, but through Christ uh, in in me. Uh, please, please enjoy.
was uh, City of Light, uh, not I, uh, but through Christ in me. What a beautiful thought uh, that uh, that really is. Folks, don't forget that uh, giveaway book that we have for you today. Uh, a Real Ripper, The uh, Giving Equation by Ken Long. Uh, Ken is uh, skilled in the uh, whole financial services uh, area. Uh, he wants to look uh, at the economy in a totally different way. What does the scriptures actually say? Is there a better way than the me, the get, the getting for me economy? Is there a better way? Uh, look, folks, if you would like uh, that particular book, it's called The Giving Equation, please just text us. Our drive time text number is 04 888 80811 and in your text all you need to do is to put five digits in a row SA129 SA129 and that'll come straight through to us it'll actually trigger our robot our robot will come back to you ask you a few questions so that we can get this book to you in the fastest way possible that number again is 04888-80811 and the code is SA129 uh, now you are listening to uh, Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary, and guiding us through our discussion is our regular Wednesday co-host, Pastor David Butcher, and David is the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Oz. And uh, this week we've been following the theme, the church and money in a very human world. Uh, and today we've been asking that question, does the Bible have anything to say about the wealth of churches? Now, David, really do appreciate what it is that you've actually been saying to us. You know, I mean, okay, the churches have become wealthy, but a lot of that wealth is tied up in uh, ministries, which they are actually uh, are actually involved in. So there's a certain necessity, and, and staffs have been employed. So there's a certain necessity uh, to have a financial backing. But you pointed out on the other hand uh, there's actually incredible danger in uh, the wealth particularly you know you, you mentioned you know a lot of the um, television evangelists you know owning uh, uh lear jets uh, able you know boats uh, you know incredibly wealthy to the multiplied millions of dollars and jesus never lived like that did he and jesus never lived like so, that so there is this balance you're correct yeah. gary let's look at a, we've got a few minutes let's look at the premise the premise is that god's own god owns everything yep uh, he, in Psalm 50 verse 10, for all the animals of the forest are mine and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. So God owns everything, including the, the income we each receive. That's really from God. And that's why uh, I guess uh, as a church, we believe in the biblical principle of tithing, returning to God a tenth of what is already his. Uh, secondly, God is a gracious and an extravagant giver. Uh, John 3.16 tells us he gave everything. He gave his only son. So the purpose of the Christian church then is it was established to seek and save that which is lost, Luke 19.10. The Christian church was established by God to build his kingdom, not some earthly human kingdom construct. So the aim is not to, to be wealthy. Uh, the aim is to serve society for the end point of leading people to Jesus Christ. The other thing I think it's important to suggest before we get into a, a, another verse is that contrary to current thought, um, money and material goods are not evil but a blessing from God. For instance, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, sorry, 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 says, 
Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Mm. So ble- uh, riches are a blessing from God, but they can be a curse if they're used to um, not bless other people with. Mm. So money in and of itself is not evil. It's the love of money. It's that distraction, that being led away, if you like. And so really, um, money is a heart issue. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're going to look at. Uh, very yeah, please bring this together for us yeah. because I'm conscious our time is starting to uh, to disappear from us. So the last book of the Bible, the Apostle John, um, uh, writes a letter to seven churches. And one of those, they're all of great interest, but one of those is written to what is called a lukewarm church, uh, verse uh, 14 of Revelation 3. It says, And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, Right, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And so Jesus here is counselling this church in Laodicea, an actual church, Mm -hmm. that they are lukewarm. No one likes anything lukewarm. Mm -hmm. Hot and cold both have medicinal value. Mm -hmm. Lukewarm, he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. Why? They say they're wealthy and they have need of nothing. Wealth can lead to self-deception. Ah, yes, yes. So much so that later on in this verse, he says to them, he says to them, and I've got to find it, he says, Behold, verse 20 of chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Guess what? The mm. church, the door of their hearts, the Laodiceans, was locked. It was locked because they had come to rely on their own self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. They, they, they were wealthy from an earthly perspective. Yeah. They thought they had everything they needed. And yet Jesus says, hey, you are, pl- you are poor, naked, blind beggars. Mm. Buy, take these clothes from me. Buy, I sell from me that you may see your true condition. In other words, we've actually been called by God to be spiritually rich. When we are spiritually rich, we may become involved in ministries that may also prosper financially, either church, corporately, or the individual privately. That is quite possible. And yet, Christ is saying, with that, actually comes an incredible danger. A responsibility that if it's not followed, if, if you're not generous, because God is a generous giver, mm-hmm. if you're not generous, the, the danger is that you will be self-deceived, mm. that the door of your heart, money is a heart issue, will be locked, mm. and you will not have Jesus in your heart because you won't need him in your, in your perception, and you'll be lost. Yeah. So money is not evil. God blesses people, some people with money, a gift, but it's not only to be used for themselves, but to bless others. And it's the same for churches. Yeah, indeed. David, really appreciate what you've actually shared there. Let's, uh, would you like to have pray, pray for those who may be listening to us and may be struggling on this particular area? Yeah, dear Lord, um, we want to thank you that you're a God who has given everything. You're a God who just gives and gives, and we've seen that through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you uh, for the, the, the land in which we live. 
But Lord, we know that even within our own country, uh, but also those outside, there are people that are really struggling. And Lord, sometimes uh, we think that the money we have is ours, that it is not yours, but everything comes from you. May we be faithful in supporting various ministries, in helping other people, Lord, and not just using that money to our own personal advantage. May we be giving and may churches be giving, Lord, and supporting the community and leading people to you is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Well, friends, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and uh, Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time Big Q&A. Uh, please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh Heenan are going to be join us, joining us and they're going to be looking at the question, doesn't Christianity promise prosperity? Now, if I am a faithful believer, shouldn't I be blessed by God? That's tomorrow's question. Really look forward uh, to being with you then. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.